Ah, there we are. Terrific. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's quite a pleasure to have you on. Yes, and I, I love the uh, the coat. I should have worn my fur collar as well. Um, w- let me know when I need to start recording. Okay, sure. Uh, anytime. Anytime. Like, now is perfect. I will start recording. Okay, great. There we go. That's working. Ah, t- <laughs> that's showbiz. Yes. We'll do it again. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Now we're doing it with feeling because we're being recorded. That's the only time it's real. Oh, yes. Right? That's, we've, uh... we've got people listening in. We've got people judging us. Please, people, give us a moment to ourselves, right? <laughs> God, I just, I just want to be left alone. Yeah, and of course, now I have to do my uh, official intro. Dear listeners, on this episode, we have the delight of chatting with the darling of the dark cabaret scene, a vintage vaudevillian villain, a vintage vaudevillian, I gotta do that again, a vintage vaudevillian <laughs> villain with a penchant for the musical and absurd, beloved around the world and soon in your very home. Please put your hands together and help me give a lusty Craig and Friends welcome to none other than Mr. Joe Black. Lusty, I like that, a lusty welcome. Yeah, well, I felt it only appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> get like a May, May West kind of. <laughs> oh well. Speaking of which, have you had any uh, lustful encounters during this uh, during this time? No, I follow the rules. How dare you? <laughs> I was just trying to catch you out. Do you know what I mean? Trying to get a little scandal. I know you. Are, you are the police. <laughs> I am You're actually. Yes, the, that's right. The papers will know. The papers will know. The pa- I'll be hounded by the press. Yes, you I'll will. T- I'll try trying to leave my humble abode and. Uh, They'll be there. Well, I am the sex police. Do you know that there was a thing that Rod Stewart and his <laughs> band had called the sex police in like the early 80s, 81, 82? They had t-shirts made up too. And basically what they would do, and it sounds like the most annoying thing <clears throat> in the world, I think Rod was seeing someone regularly, so he wasn't screwing around, or maybe he wasn't supposed to be. So anytime anyone in the band had a girl in their room, they would find out and they'd go burst the door down and start screaming, it's the sex police, it's the sex police, and like ruin <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing isn't that good yeah it's a nice know. way of keeping keeping people in check maybe it's, yeah exactly you know keep the band in line james brown had a way of doing it and rod stewart had his different way of doing it yeah i mean everyone finds their own way to police uh, other people's sexual activity don't they what are your favorite ways of policing uh, other sexual activities uh, sc- screaming <laughs> <laughs> At the door. <laughs> that works. I think whatever works. And also you have quite the voice, right? So you could really use what you're best at. <laughs> well, my, my, my Tallulah Bankhead smokes 700 cigarettes a day voice. I'm sorry, I just stepped in what you said. Oh, it's all right. I would say occasionally Tallulah Bankhead, occasionally Tom Waits. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got, a, I've got a character voice. It, it, it is not, it's not constrained to any particular musical uh, limitations. People say, what kind of singer are you? I'd say character voice. As, as, if it's got character, I'll try it. Yeah, sure. It's like character actor. Actually, you know, the video, the video is glitching and stuff. Uh, would you mind signing out and signing back in? Oh, I can do that. How do I do that? You're a many-skilled so performer. I, I think leave right, and then just okay. uh, come back. Okay, see you right, in a sec. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, <laughs> it was a, a lovely show. Thank you for joining. Aaron, are you playing games? There we go. I How think, was that? Yeah, I think it's better. 
so now you also have uh you know i'm recording this and you have me going aaron are you playing online games <laughs> now who's aaron wondering why the internet aaron's my boyfriend and how long have you been together but oh god nine years that's a while isn't it it's quite a while where did you meet in, well, where I grew up in Portsmouth, uh, we both uh, grew up there, and he was—I was fifteen, he was thirteen. That's not when we got together. I'm not that—I'm not that young. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were friends. We were friends then on MySpace, uh-huh. and uh, and then you know on my twenty-second birthday, we 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 became a couple. Oh well, that's lovely. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's a nice fairy tale thing. There. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite nice. Now. Uh... Have you always been a monogamous couple, or what is your stance on that sort of thing? Oh no, we're we're very open. You can't stay with somebody for nearly nine years, and I think it's perfectly natural. I do as well. Yeah, you know, and and also, you know, as long as it has to work both ways. The only time it's cheating is if it's not if everyone's not on the same page with things. If people violate the terms of the agreement. Mm-hmm, exactly, it's consensual. Exactly. And that's, you know, and that's why you can have a long, happy relationship, because it's perfectly normal to, to fancy other people. I, you know, it, you'd, you'd be lying if you said you didn't. You can be loyal without being technically faithful. This is the thing. But I actually haven't had sex since uh, February. Uh, but it was in the UK. So, I, you know, I have a lot of fond feelings for the UK. So. <laughs> was that because was you, you were, because I, I spied you in the audience at a drag world after party. And I remember I was, I like looked out and I was like, Huh. <laughs> I think I recognize that face. <laughs> then car- carrying on with the show. Uh, was that part of an extended trip there? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I, I went there for DragCon and hosted a few panels. And then that I think that was the night after the second day of DragCon, right? Battle of Yeah, it was ba- the Sunday. It was like an after party thing. Battle yeah. of the British. I yes. Think it was called. Fantastic show. And that's where I first saw you, uh, live anyway. Yeah. I was very drunk. <laughs> I. <laughs> I, 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 I was, it's, we were upstairs with the door, um, not like a door as in like a, like a, you know, the furniture as in a door Delano, the person, <laughs> right, right. um, is, is a door, is a door a piece of furniture? No, it's, is it a utility? Or is it part of the architecture? I think, archi- let's go with architecture. Sure. Um, and, and talking of arch- architecture, a door Delano was there as well. And, uh, we were, we were drinking upstairs, uh, a meatball as well that's right and, yeah um we were and juno birch Ginny lemon right a Ginny Le- Ginny had gotten so <laughs> Ginny was the most drunk out of all of us because she <laughs> she did her performance and then she left and then she came back downstairs um i was waiting there and she went when am i on and they were like <laughs> you, right. you've, you've been on and she was like no i haven't <laughs> and and she didn't remember going on stage We've all had those moments, but to have that timeline be five minutes, goldfish level, that's remarkable. Ginny Lemon is, uh, she's a marvel and a wonder. Yes, indeed. Um, I think the first, the first time I ever met Ginny was <clears throat> Brighton Pride, which Brighton is where I live. Um, and we, we were doing a thing called the Queer Town stage, which was the, the queer and live music stage. And me, her, and a, a, a drag uh prince alfie ordinary so the son of a drag queen ah oh i see um, oh that's a good i didn't know that term before so thank you uh well i think they i think they might be one of the only ones <laughs> oh there you go a pioneer yes uh we were we were there and we'd done the show we were having a lovely time and then britney spears was the headliner and i've got a i've, I've got this an ability of blagging things i don't know what it is i can get free things i can get people into places 
And I was like, right, here we go. I'm going to get us into the VIP pit of Britney. And they were like, no, you're not. I was like, I bloody am. And we were all in full costume. And I marched us over to the security. And I was like, cool, we've got these wristbands. Can we go in there? And they were just the wristbands for our backstage. And he went, I, I haven't seen those ones. Uh, yeah, sure. And then, of course, you get to the next security and you go, oh, no, no, they said it was fine. That's the key. It's confidence plus confirmation of the other person. And they're too busy. They cannot yeah, go, they can't. you stay here. I'm going to go up there and have a chat with them about this. Mm-hmm. And then we nearly, when just before we got into the actual VIP peep it, someone was like, no, those aren't the VIP wristbands. And I was like, oh, no, but, you know, the organizer of this and so-and-so, yeah, so they just said, go on in. Yeah. And it was like a moment of silence then. <laughs> All right, then, in you go. So we got to, we were in, in, in full costume in a muddy field watching Britney Spears dead eyed. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to say given it her best because she did not even know where she was. There was, a, I mean, obviously she's got her own issues, but the moment that I clocked, I was like, oh, I don't think she's well. Was, oh, yeah. Um, she went to say, she went, hello, and then stopped and then turned to a dancer and went, where are we? Where are we? <laughs> Um, and they, they went, Brighton, Brighton! It was, oh, it was an experience. But, you know, I'm not really that into pop. I still think Baby uh, One More Time is a current hit. Yeah, no, it just fell off the charts a few minutes ago. Yeah, that's that, that's where I am mentally with popular music, <laughs> is that I still, you know, I listen to the Spice Girls and go, oh, I like popular current music. <laughs> I'm, with um, the, I'm hip it with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hip. I'm hip. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite artists? Because also... You're quite young, right? To not be plugged into the pop thing or the current bleeding edge pop stuff. I go in and out. I love Rina Sawayama. And I'm going to make up a couple names because you don't know because you're not paying attention. Oh, right? I have no idea. Yeah. The Hobgoblins, they're fantastic. Now that's, uh, that's uh, no, no, that's not Hobgoblin. There is uh, the band that did the music for the original Suspiria. Oh, Goblin. Yeah. I love that, them. See, I knew that. There you go. Yeah, can't put one over on you on the Goblins. And also there's other scores for the Argento stuff, like Tenebrae and everything. They're not technically under the name Goblin, but they're, it's the same people. Oh, okay. Have you seen Tenebrae? If, you, if not, I'll send it to you. It's really great. No, I, no, I haven't seen it. No, I've seen, I've seen Suspiria, um, both ones. Um, and then Layla McQueen keeps trying to get me to watch Inferno. Oh, yeah, that's really good too. I, I, that one's really good. And there's like a triptych of... The, the Three Mothers series. It's Suspiria, Inferno, and then Mother of All Tears. I have not seen Mother of All Tears, but mm. uh, Inferno is really good. But um, when you when you're told that it's in the line with Suspiria, you're expecting a little too much of it. But it's really good. Mm. And then Phenomena is another fabulous one with Jennifer Connelly. If you have an aversion to bugs, though, oh, I'm all right with bugs. Yeah, you like the macabre, right? <laughs> yeah, on occasion. But it, it it sounds like musical artists. Like my my all time favorite is Tom Waits. He's one of my favorites, too. It's one of those things, uh, like, anyone anyone that I work with is like, who? I just get who? <laughs> and I find myself explaining who Tom Waits is. And then I feel absurd for explaining who Tom Waits is because he's very famous. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? Uh, I love Nick Cave. Um, lots of miserable singer-songwriter stuff. Sure. Uh, Mar Marianne Faithful I love as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but I also really like the Tiger Lilies. Um, the Dresden Dolls, mm. that the kind of singer-songwriter stuff and cabaret stuff, and then like musicals and like I love Dvorka as well. So I love that kind of klezmer or Balkan sounds. Oh sure, sort of world music sounds as well. I'd, yeah, Screw Not Zippers, another one. I've been listening to a lot of them lately. Do you know them? I do know them actually. Yeah, I remember hearing them a lot at the record 90s. store I worked at, like a swing revival group, right? Yeah, they were like them. Yeah, them. 
Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, and there was a was it Cherry Poppin' Daddies? But they were all part of the kind of '90s swing revival. But I think Scoring Out Zippers were kind of the uh, the big one because they had um, put a lid on it, which gets used in adverts and oh, okay, that sort yeah, of yeah, thing, you know. <laughs> That's close enough, I think. Yeah, any you could Shazam that. I think it's that. That's how close it was. Uh, Tom Waits explaining him to people is funny because I remember eventually you get to the point where you're like, "Do you know the Rod Stewart song Downtown Train?" Or like you just try to find anything that is maybe they might have heard of, and you're like, "Okay, he wrote he wrote a song for someone you like." I I tend to go with, "Have you seen Bram Stoker's Dracula?" The guy who ate the bugs. That's the guy that yeah. I'm listening to all the time. Yeah, yeah, him. And then they'll go, they'll go, "What one? What one?" And I'll go, "Um, oh, oh Panic and go, um." A kitten, anything the master. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At a record store once, I was trying to help someone find the Tom Waits album that they were looking for. It turned out they were looking for John Waite. So I spent that was a wasted fifteen minutes, and I was a big Tom Waits fan already at the time. So I was very disappointed. And but, but they said this album, and you were like, "I'm a f- I'm a fan. I don't know what they're, they're saying. This album's name's this. I've never heard yeah. of a Tom Waits album called that." And, and actually, even worse than that, they were trying to sing me a song, didn't know any of the lyrics, and were basically tone deaf. So it, and it turned out to be "Missing You" by John Waite, which I never would have guessed in a million years. But when did you get into Tom Waits? Do you know what? This is going to be really embarrassing. It was the Shrek Two soundtrack. And that's how I discovered Nick Cave as well. Oh, Nick Cave's on that soundtrack? I didn't know that. Yeah, and they both play the same character because both of their songs are used in Shrek 2 in the Poison Apple Bar. So when they go into the Poison Apple Bar, Captain Hook is playing Little Drop of Poison. Oh, okay. And then they go back later and there's a sad scene where Captain Hook is playing People Ain't No Good by Nick Cave. I met Nick Cave after a show once. He was walking up the street around the venue in Boston, and he was wearing a pink sweater and drinking a strawberry Yoo-Hoo. It was the weirdest vision <laughs> of Nick Cave I've ever seen in my life. He lives in Brighton. Oh, he does. Oh, wow! I didn't know. Yeah, that. I, I've seen I've seen him a few times. Um, I usually when I'm most not expecting it because you don't ever go right. I'm leaving the house today. I'm going to see Nick Cave because that's not how it works. <laughs> Right. I was like, I remember going, I was going through town, I had my suitcase, I was on a mission, everyone was in my way, I was getting annoyed, <laughs> pulling my case along, and then this man stood in front of me, and I looked up like, <clears throat> I was like, oh, shit, it's <laughs> Nick Cave, and he just like looked at me, and I was just staring at him, and I just sort of walked around, but my head just kept looking at him <laughs> as my body moved away, and then he always gets the, I've got a, a, like off train the train from brighton to london and he's getting on it so i'll step off as he steps on and every time it takes me by surprise because he's tall as well he's so goddamn tall and he slouches a little but but it doesn't help that that's how tall he is <laughs> he's, he's he's so big he could bend forward and <laughs> still be taller than everyone yeah. else there yeah um, he could still get on no, any that... carnival ride that had a height limitation even completely folded <laughs> in half <laughs> and he tries <laughs> It he tries. does. Susie's he does. wife is like, Nick, stop it. You're embarrassing me. Yeah, that's what the boatman's call is actually about. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because that, people that ain't no good. That was that was written about people who work at fairgrounds. You know, he just wants to go he wants to go on the roller coaster. That's what he wants. That's right. And actually the teacups, um, you know, the, the strawberry quick <clears throat> tipped me off to the fact that he just wanted to ride the teacups at Disney. People wouldn't let him. Damn. Damn Disney. But it, on the subject of Tom Waits, that's one of the only, in terms of impressions of people that I can do, it's um, very limited Jennifer Tilly, which is basically Tom Waits just higher. Um, and I can do Tom Waits. So you, Tom Waits is, you know, me and my wife, Catherine, were looking on eBay. <laughs> and, you know, we found the dying breath of Henry Ford. It was in a Coke bottle. 
And then Jennifer Tilly is, you know, Chucky, my mom always said, if you cook dinner, at least you can do is wash the dishes. Add less husk to it and you are Jinx Monsoon. That's amazing. This is see, and, and listen, for listeners. This is how you break down an accent. If you're getting into the mimicry game, this is how you start approaching things. <laughs> you find the one that you can do sort of naturally or easily, rather, and then work your way around. Yeah, I know. If you know you want you want to be Carol Channing, um, find someone that has a silly voice and I don't know I was I was going on something there and it just is gone that's okay that's what I do that all the time you're familiar with the show so you know that that's what happens <laughs> it's you know it was whimsical it's volatile <laughs> you know yeah and now it's now it's officially Craig and Friends I just rebranded uh, hey, hey. Congr- congratulations thank you very much a new um, theme song that uh, people would have heard by now and you'll hear when the show comes out so I'm excited oh, fantastic yes thanks and uh, at some point I'll do like a uh, we are the world type uh, all the friends of the show singing versions of it so i'll probably ask you to uh do a version <laughs> it should be fun <laughs> that'd be amazing can i can i can i can i do can i do it as carol channing i don't know Please. i'm trying to think of a uh, I don't know. I just, that's what I do. Whenever, whenever it's anyone's birthday, yeah, every, I send them like a terrible voice note of me going, "Happy birthday to you." <laughs> but the, the the more that I do it, it started out like trying to be like, "Okay, try and stay in tune." But then eventually, it's got to the point where I was like, "Oh shit, it's someone's birthday. Let's do the count." Um, and it's just just it goes into something else entirely. Um, Happy birthday from me, Carol Shining. Um, which I'm at this point, I'm not even sure if it is anything sounds anything like her. But I've, 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 I've sent this note so many times now that I've, I think I've Mandela affected myself. Yeah. Of that's what Carol Channing's always sounded like. I think so. That... You, you know about the Mandela effect. Would you like to explain it for the listeners who are not familiar? Well, I don't. I mean, hopefully, I can explain it. If you put into the universe an, an altered, incorrect version of the Mandela effect, that in and of itself will be uh, an example of the Mandela effect. So please carry on. Okay, wait. Am I going to do an actual one or an altered version? Because you know what? I can't think of an altered one. Right. Okay. So what it is is it's when you think something was a certain way and you were convinced, and then you suddenly realize that it wasn't that and it's always been this other thing the whole time sellotape is a common one so people think it's spelt with a c yes but it's not it's always been an s oh okay right and this is the other aspect it's a mass delusion yes a a good example is that a lot of people think that there's a movie from the 90s about a genie starring sinbad the comedian and it, it doesn't exist but millions of people have labored under that uh misapprehension however there's one with Shaq called kazam somehow it got mixed up there's the Pikachu one as well for Pokemon. There's the that people remember there being a black stripe on Pikachu's tail, and everyone remembers this black stripe. Whenever the people draw Pikachu or whatever, sure, they, yeah, it's never had that. It's never had the black stripe. There's, I mean, there's a few varies, and you get, I get almost stressed reading about them because <laughs> I start doubting everything. Like, right, never made my whole life a lie. <laughs> right, exactly. How much of this is just fabrication that? Who knows how it came into be, too, because I don't think anyone's, I don't think like the CIA is pumping that kind of information out there. It just happens to no, us. No, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think the CIA are worried if you think there's a black stripe on Pikachu's tail. No, they're, they're relieved, actually, yeah. because that way no one's going to accurately replicate Pikachu and therefore they can relax their standards on copyright issues. Exactly. You work for Nintendo. <laughs> on the side, a little bit, but I, I try not to talk about it too much on the show. So I might you're, believe you're the... the sex police. You're the <laughs> Nintendo police. Did you? So you retrained? 
So you re- did you see this thing? The Fatima was a dancer. She ensured she retrained in cyber. Did you see this? No, this I did. Very British thing. So there was a retraining advert to try and encourage people to, you know, learn more skills that ran in the UK. Oh, okay. And it was a ballet dancer um, sat there and it said, um, you know, Fatima had, you know, dreams of being a dancer um, until she retrained in cyber. Oh, okay. Or something like that. So it was was an advert to to retrain in in cyber, but it used a ballet dancer as an example. Like, well, this isn't a viable job, isn't it? Why don't you go to something sensible? (laughs) But it did the rounds again when the government basically said with the the covid um pandemic went well you know we can only save the viable jobs right and then this did the did the rounds gotcha yeah they're really subtle subtle messaging because it's always easy to put across those kind of notions to people right well well i didn't listen (laughs) i didn't listen i'll be poor but i'll still be putting on dresses (laughs) and shouting at strangers i don't care where i do it did you have any uh gigs that were about to happen recent times that then were reshuffled because of the recent lockdown oh yeah no i had i had a full bloody month oh. um and then stuff's coming back now because we've come come out of lockdown again yeah good uh which which is love but you know it gets reviewed every two weeks so it's like a weird kind of lottery draw where it's like do i have a job <laughs> and it, you know everyone gets placed into different tiers and there's these bizarre you know you can only go to a, a pub and drink alcohol if you have a substantial meal oh and right so now people are finding ways around it so uh, some government officials said that they thought a scotch egg um, <laughs> classed as a substantial <laughs> meal, as long as it was table service. Oh, so okay. I'm just imagining now these these pubs with just waiters bringing out plates with a single Scotch egg on them. The aroma must be uh, enchanting. Yeah, do, you, do you do you know? Do you have a Scotch egg? I, I've never had one, but I, it, let's see if I got it right. It's an egg that's wrapped in meat and then fried, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a yeah a, a boiled egg in a sausage. In encasing like batter, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, and then deep fried. The British have such a way with uh, delicacies, don't we? <laughs> Indeed. Now, I almost uh, bit into uh, a breakfast sandwich at a hotel that had blood pudding in it without realizing, or black pudding rather. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that I narrowly avoided it because now maybe I'd like black pudding. I've never had it, but that's not the time I want to try it. Being surprised by it. Do you eat meat? I do eat meat. As someone that has, you know, grown up in the United Kingdom and always lived here, <laughs> I really like them. They're not as they're not bloody. This is the thing you're not going to cut into it, and it's just blood's going to go everywhere. Right. It's it's like imagine like a potato cake, like a, okay. a fried squished potato. Sure. That's kind of what it's like, but kind of you ever had a haggis? No, never had haggis. I did have an ice cream that had. It was made with blood. It was like a blood pudding ice cream. And I had like a little taste of it uh, as a gag on the show. But uh, never had haggis. Never had any of those types of like British Scottish delicacies that um, mm-hmm. are, aren't served over here. Maybe next trip. Maybe. Oh, ha- I, I, haggis, I love it. It's, it's just like spiced meats. Basically, sure. like a mince. Yeah, and I and it I was... do know that at the core of it, any dish like that, it's like it's well, it's just another part of the animal. And if you really start thinking about it, kind of any part of the animal, maybe it's a little disgusting if you think about it in those metrics. Well, eating meat is disgusting. <laughs> yes, it is. Gen- well, you know, in in general, the only reason I do it now is because I was vegan for the longest time, and then I hit thirty, and my body went, you know what, <laughs> gluten and you can fuck off. <laughs> so I can't have wheat and gluten, and uh-huh. I was like, well, I can't be vegan 
and not have that because I travel. Because that's impossible. Yeah. Because sometimes you go somewhere and they just have bread. Or fries, right? It's bread or fries. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the amount of time someone has just panicked and gone, when I was vegan, just gone, can you have bread? <laughs> and then just... just... <laughs> Like like yeah. in, in Holland, it's all cheese. Oh, so they're sure. Just, they're, you know, they're just bread. They're, yeah. We'd normally put cheese on it. but When you were vegan, what was the best place to be in when you were traveling to get a decent well, meal? Not not traveling, Brighton where I live, because it's like the hippie weirdo capital of the UK. Oh, it is. See, I don't know much about Brighton, and I'm looking forward to checking out Brighton on my next trip. I'm looking forward to spending a lot more time in the UK, because I really mm-hmm. love it. Do you feel connected to it? I do, actually. Yeah, I do. Oh. Well, you should go to Brighton. Bright- Brighton is the only thing I can... It's sort of Seattle, San Francisco, hippie, queer, weirdo. Uh, kind of, I can, you know, I can walk down the street in full full costume in the daytime and... No, not a single problem. Yeah. Generally speaking, of course, you'll get the odd dickhead here and there, but they're everywhere. Yeah, exactly. But, but on the... Uh... Uh, on the whole, by and large, I almost said on the large, which is not a phrase that anyone really <laughs> goes with anymore uh, or ever. So, but on the whole, it's it's a more hospitable atmosphere. Oh, absolutely. You know, occasionally your average walk into town will be impeded by somebody on a unicycle protesting about organic hummus, but that's the <laughs> price you pay for living somewhere like this. Heavens bless the passion of those unicyclists they care oh absolutely is there's a, there's a group on on facebook called keep bright and weird and i've joined it because it 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 reminds me why i love living here because it's just i can't even think of examples it's just googly eyes on tree stumps or yeah you know someone has a christmas tree hanging in the window made of like weird vintage dolls <laughs> um, yeah. the, the the guy the guy opposite us has um, a Christmas tree nailed to his ceiling. Well, that's very sensible, too, in terms of saving floor space, too. Exactly. So we, we call him the wizard because he's got this giant beard and this sort of long, scraggly hair. And if I ever have any visitors come to, you know, they pop out. When the, the you know, the main lockdown was happening, we you know, we live in the basement. Okay. So yeah. <clears throat> we kind of pennywised it a little bit because there's, like <laughs> there's a window that goes onto the street, but we're lower. Um, and friends, friends would sit on the street, you know, two meters apart. Of course. And we talk through the through the through the grate. Yeah. Um, and the wizard's very unhappy about this, so we've got a laser pen. <laughs> and every time there was a noise, he would go with the laser pen oh. and just flash it at us all. Yeah. Um, so it's now I've got the cat though. The, I didn't have the cat in the beginning of lockdown. The cat will go absolutely berserk with a laser pen. Oh so. yeah, they flip out over the laser pen. Oh, he fl- he flips out over. Absolutely everything. I've got, I've got a Sphinx cat. What's the cat's name? Klaus. Oh, that's a good solid cat name. Klaus Augustus Black. And everyone has a different reason why they think I've called it Klaus. Some, some people think I've called them after Klaus and Umbrella Academy. Some people think it's Klaus Kinski from the, was it the 70s Nosferatu. Oh, yeah, sure. I loved the series of Unfortunate Events books when they came out. So it's named after Klaus Baudelaire because I originally wanted to get a another cat and call them klaus and violet the baudelaire orphans maybe someday you'll get a second cat i know, i'm hoping so but i do like the idea of a, a, a either an oriental short hair or um or a sphinx called zelda but not like legend of zelda I'm talking aunt zelda from sabrina oh sure um you know but the new one i mean i like the aunt you know the aunt zelda in the in the 90s one she was lovely beth what was her name oh, i'm not sure uh, beth something who played a we can look it up Go on. We've got the internet. Yes, we do. Oh, God. It's definitely Beth something. From what show? 
Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, right, right. Which I've not seen. Well, it's, you know, I don't think it's, it's, it's not that it hasn't aged well, because it's not because it's offensive, but I just think you look at it and go, God, this is terrible. I know what you mean. Some things age like wine and some stuff ages like uh, Planter's Punch. Bre- Beth Broderick. Breath Broad, Beth Broderick. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can call they, we, they remade... we can call her Breath. Breath. It's okay. We'll call her Breath. 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 Um, have you have you not seen the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? Nope. The Netflix one. No, I haven't. Okay. No, I, I have seen Cop and a Half with Burt Reynolds and an eight year old. You know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that, uh... <laughs> well, they basically did a gritty reboot of uh, oh of right this, uh, of the of the Sabrina complex. And Aunt Zelda is played by um, Miranda Otto. Who played? Um, oh, she was in. I see. I'm terrible with names in some stuff. Lord of the Rings, I really enjoy, right? Yeah. But I've to this point still don't know the characters' names, so I'll know the actors' names. Sure, sure. So Miranda Otto was also in Lord of the Rings, and I go whenever I'm trying to explain her, I'll go the woman that says, "I am no man." <laughs> that's that's what I remember from it. Yeah. Or I'll, I'll be talking about a scene and go, "Do you know when Kate Blanchett gets really pissed off and then?" Um, you know, Christopher Lee turns up, uh, and I'll just start saying it with the actors, and it sounds a bit strange. But you're like, "Oh, Kate Blanchett was shouting, and Ian McKellen was on the floor." Uh, <laughs> he was quite mad. But you know, it's funny though. If as long as I think if you main, maintain consistency with how you describe something, because if you go back and forth, if you say Ian McKellen and then you say the character name of someone else, then that's confusing. Just stick stick with one. Yeah, stick with one. So that's all right. And if someone's seen it, they kind of know what you mean, right? But in terms, ter- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, but it's an Ian McKellen related tangent. But you finish what you're saying, and then I'll go. Off oh no, on no, the you, you you finish because I was going to ask about favorite okay. f- films and stuff. But I love an Ian McKellen tangent. Well, so my friend Alfie, who I mentioned earlier, yeah, was doing the Edinburgh Fringe, and uh, one, you know, it's a show every day. It's a big Fringe festival, uh, tiny venue. Maybe sat forty people. Uh, you know, he'd sold out the whole run. Lovely. So he was backstage, and the tech person texted him and said, "Ian McKellen is in the audience." And he was like, no, no, he's not. I was like, no, no, no. Ian McKellen is in the audience. Yeah. And he was like, okay, you know, go out to do the show. Going to go out. Ian McKellen's right there. There's only 40 people in the room. And he goes out thinking, of course, it would just be Ian McKellen sat there that, you know, you can psych yourself up to that to perform your hour long show. To, yeah. You know, perform your heart out. But he came out to the site of Ian McKellen in a room that fits 40 people in it. With opera glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely seriously sat there with just a, like a jumper over his shoulders. Yeah. With opera glasses on like, like an office, you know, like a folding chair. Oh, yeah. For a, func- for a function room. Yes. With yeah. opera glasses. When, when uh, probably as close as I am to this phone. Which begs the question, is he that interested in the minute detail of someone's performances or their garments or does he have some kind of uh, vision problem that might be better suited to a pair of glasses? I think it's option number three, which is I think he might just be very, very camp. Uh, uh, you know, you're right. And I'm, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't see that one in, in, in the, on the horizon. I think that's exactly what it is. No lenses in there. There's nothing in there. <laughs> yeah. I wear a monocle sometimes, you know. Right. Uh, there's, there's no magnification in that. It's <laughs> right. just... I just want to look kind of like screwed up faced and and kind of, you know, penguin-esque, which brings me actually to what I think you're going to ask me. Ah, very good. Yes, you're right. Favorite film. So, Batman Returns? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Batman Returns is my favorite film of all time. I can I can speak most of the film, if not all of it. What was the first time you saw it? I think I probably saw it when when I was like a kid. Yeah. I mean, this is it's nine nineteen ninety one, two, three. or something. That sounds about right. Because yeah, Batman the first one was eighty nine, I think. Yeah, Batman was eighty nine. The first one, I think it might have been eight ninety two because. Right, I'm trying to do my Tim Burton history here. We should do a movie club on that sometime then. Of, of on Batman Returns. Yeah, that'd be fun. Absolutely. That is is my is my absolute favorite film. I also think, for me, Adam's Family Values is one of the closest things to a perfect film. It's not my favorite, but I still think it's a perfect film. And Batman Returns, it's dark, it's camp, it's absurd, it's ridiculous, it's just ludicrous. And Pee Wee Herman's in it, so. What's not to like? Just very, very briefly holding a deformed baby. He, he does have a voice in The Nightmare Before Christmas as well. I think by this point he was disgraced, wasn't he? He was, yeah, for being <clears throat> caught masturbating in a theater by some cops who were just looking to bust people jerking off in a movie theater that showed only pornography. So I'm not sure uh, exactly what that... Yeah, yeah. How, how, how does that work? Are you not allowed to do that there? I mean, wouldn't you think that of all the places, of public places, uh, that would be seemingly the natural place to do it at a porno theater? Yeah, it's ridiculous, really. But also, you know, if he, if he wasn't Pee Wee Herman, it, they wouldn't I think have, he yeah. might have gotten away with it. I'm sure he has a large enough home to have a screening room, but uh, these, th- <laughs> these questions are moot at this point. Right, he, he just wanted to have a, you know, he wanted a thrill. He wanted to be seen. It's like in Soap Dish when Sally Field goes to the mall. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's he's very briefly in Batman Returns. Uh, I'm trying to think of other fun facts. What about the first movie you remember really uh, calling to you as a kid? Maybe it was the first Batman, the Jack Nicholson one, because I remember my I got my mum to buy me this face paint kit. Yeah, from from like the convenience shop, um, like a badge, you know, those sort of crayon ones. And I would paint. I would paint myself up like the Joker, uh-huh. and I would jump off my bed and recreate his death scene. <laughs> oh my god! I think I've just realised why I turned out like I did. <laughs> That's what I'd like to have happen on the show. Yes, a uh, uh, yeah, breakthrough. I've had a revelation. <laughs> I think my, and also, my mum let me watch Bram Stoker's Dracula as a child as well. And on reflection, yeah, um, I'm not saying she's a bad mother, <laughs> but a, a, a wolf does fuck a woman in a garden. So it sounds like. Your mom always kind of got you in that way? Oh, yeah. She always let me do whatever. When I was like a super goffy teenager, you know, and I wanted to go to school in black lipstick and make my hair. I mean, I'm saying this. I make my hair black and white as my hair is currently <laughs> Back then when um, I used to dabble in goth stuff. Oh, of course, now. What, what, yeah. Very sensible nowadays. Conservative. <laughs> I was going to say how shocked I was, but I figured I'd wait till later in the show to talk about your natty business attire. You know, a three-piece suit looks great, though. I gotta say, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, I grew my, I grew my nails out and filed them into points. Not even fake nails. Like I grew my own nails. Sure, sure. Filed them into points. I wore black lipstick and big, thick, like sort of heavy metal 
corpse paint eyeliner to school. Um, she never once said to me, don't do that. She'd just be like, as long as you're safe. That was always the thing. Yeah. And she, she's always and she's always been so supportive of shows and stuff. She has like she pretends she has any idea what's going on. She sits there and she smiles because <laughs> um, you seem happy and things are good. Yeah, she got. I had, I had a lovely time, love. I had a lovely time. She wears. I get. A, she buys my buys my t shirts off me. And there's something about looking at you know my seventy year old um, ball of a human that is my mother. Um, you got to imagine John Lithgow. That's what she looks like. So she's got John Lithgow's face. Sure. On a 70-year-old plump woman's body. Okay, I'm imagining John Lithgow from World According to Garp, uh, a bit <laughs> aged up. Yeah. Yes. And just her in, in you know, a Joe Black t-shirt. She wears glasses as well. Uh, uh, oh, I had a lovely time, love. I had a lovely time. It was really good. I thought it was very funny. Very funny. And <laughs> it's, it's very, very supportive woman. That's lovely. My, yeah, my mom's lovely about stuff like that too, and was always very encouraging uh, with arts and and everything. And and now and like and again, sometimes you know that she's not really like cottoning on to what certain things are, but she's like, well, that, that's good. I'm happy for you, and this is <laughs> proud of you, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, she, my mum would go, what does that, what does that mean? Is that good? And I go, it's very good. But also I think sometimes she, she, she doesn't get when something is very good and she thinks that she's got to feel sorry for me and she'll go, <laughs> well, it's better, it's better than nothing, isn't it, love? <laughs> but it would actually be, it'll be something really good. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and then she'll still, like, it was like, they did these self-employed grants from the government for help over COVID. Yeah. And I said, oh, you know, I got the grant. It was this much money. Uh, you know, it's, and before I could say it, she went, oh, well, at least it's something, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I was about to say, it's quite literally meant I could pay my rent. <laughs> and she's interrupting me to go, it's better than nothing, love. It's better than nothing. <laughs> my mom has this funny she's tick just... where she, where I'm telling her about some, like a plan I have to do something. Uh-huh. Or uh, whatever it could be. He's, let's say, going to DragCon and, and hosting the thing. And she's like, well, please, God, it all goes well. And I, I, every once in a while, I'm like, <laughs> no, like, please, that, that, that like, puts it like an ounce. It's, she doesn't mean it to sound like there's doubt. But she, she means it to say, like, oh, like, uh, all spirits willing. And we're not a religious family either. So but every once in a while, I'm like, mom, please, with the please, God, please don't. <laughs> it almost sounds like she's like, it's, could it be a threat? Well, maybe, you know, maybe she's got some malevolent, uh, yeah, something awful is going to happen to please God, let it be okay. Cause that's how I'm imagining it said now is like, please God, let it be okay. Uh, she is a bit of a worrier. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's somewhere in between. It's somewhere in between those two things. So uh, tonally it would be in the middle. Well, please God, like she's, she's encouraging, but also she doesn't pray. She doesn't go to church. So I don't know. It's, I think it's like one of those sayings that's uh, buried in your mind from years ago that you just say almost like you almost like when someone sneezes you just say bless you but you're not necessarily religious with that when you say bless you you're not allowed to say thank you i always say thank you because i'm always thanking the person for being uh courteous in acknowledging my sneezing uh and saying whatever they're they think they're saying with bless you because it yeah because it 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 does doesn't it you think that would be right right i that's what i think yeah is it not what you're supposed to do what I don't, I've got it in my head somewhere that you don't say thank you, and I don't. Maybe I've. Maybe this is a Mandela effect thing. Could be. I don't know. The, the in my head somewhere tells me that if you say thank you, I've heard. I, I'm sure I've heard it before when someone goes, "If you say thank you, an angel dies." Oh, listen. That sounds like a reasonable thing. Not reasonable to say, but reasonable to hear, because people always have these kind of like, "Oh no, 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 you can't do that," because what happens then? 
in you know, which is an outgrowth of the original nonsense of religion. So, you know, we were what we we were just watching the Da Vinci Code. I really like those Dan Brown ones, and I know they're just big blockbustery, ridiculous films. But we watched the Da Vinci Code, and then we watched um, Angels and Demons. I read Da Vinci Code, and then I love Tom Hanks, so it would make sense that I would like those because I love a big blockbuster pot boiler action film as well. It is very that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm really into crime things, uh, films. I love, I like crime and gangster films. I love um, gangster movies. Yeah, uh, Goodfellas. One of the best things ever. Yeah, I, I, I really, really love them. And um, that's obviously much like a crime mystery thing. So you've ne- no, you've never seen it, and you enjoy Tom Hanks and have read the book. Yeah, I don't. So I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm wasting my time. Uh, you, you must. It's very long. I don't mind that. I like a good long movie. I mean, you said Goodfellas Casino is one of my favorites. I wish it was an hour longer. It's like three hours and ten minutes long. Well, I mean, you get yourself watching The Da Vinci Code. I will. It's brilliant. And I always forget the twist. And then I'll go, oh, that person's bad. Then go, it was them! Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, that reminds me. I got a good movie uh, for you then. I don't want to tell you anything about it. but And don't read anything about it because it's one of those where in the description they usually spoil it. It's called To Live and Die in L.A. William Friedkin, who made uh, French Connection, The Exorcist, and Cruising. I've only heard his name for The Exorcist, so I didn't know other films he'd made. One of my favorite directors, really good with suspense. And uh, it's Willem Dafoe and then William Peterson, who was later in Manhunter. The first... Um... Silence of the Lambs. Yes, thank you. Thank you, exactly. See, I'm, I'm terrible with pop music-y stuff. Yeah. Films, I, 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 I realize I'm actually pretty fairly good at with... With naming stuff. What's the Willem Dafoe one about the thing of the, the Klaus Kinski link? Oh, um, uh, oh, oh, uh, th- right. The vampire. Uh, <clears throat> it's not Interview with the Vampire. It's, hold on. I got to look this up because he's so good. Shadow of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah. About the, the making of Nosferatu. But that's the Max Schreck one. That's a great one. I tried to, I was in Berlin and I was absolutely certain that Max Schreck who played Nosferatu was buried there. But he's not. And then, but we, we went off and we found, we found the graves of the Brothers Grimm. And Sister Grimm as well, which apparently there was a campaign to to get her put there because the family didn't want her there. So it's all these very dark uh, headstones with all the brothers. Yeah. And then there's just this one white one plop next to it of, of Sister Grimm. I don't remember her name. Um, and we went to go see the grave of Marlene, my grave of Marlene Dietrich as well. Oh, who's quite humble. an influence on you, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love her. What I just, what I love is that kind of bizarre Hollywood illusion thing. You know what I mean? That, that. Uh, so people would say, oh, when they ask me to explain myself, I'll say glamorous, but to the point of ridiculous. Like how I dress and do my makeup. It, it's like someone's gone, this is glamorous, but they just not stopped. <laughs> sure. Do you know what I mean? They've yeah. just kept putting on right. the eyeshadow. I mean, a bit kind of Barbara Cartland-esque. Do you know, what, you know Barbara Cartland? No, who's Barbara Cartland? Ro- ro- romance novelist plays Google. Oh, I need I you will. to Google her so you can see a picture okay. of her. I, I absolutely will. Because then will. this will make sense. Yeah. I want to see your reaction. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's that eyeshadow. Yeah, the eyeshadow is uh, very subtle. But it's, uh, yeah, sometimes I refer to it as like wonky glamour, but I sometimes joke that I paint for silent movies because it's all, it's the same kind of techniques that I use. Yeah. Is the same shapes and, and how heavy it is, is not meant to be done nicely. It's meant for harsh light. On stage, from a distance, that looks, it looks glamorous, but then you get up close and you're like, whoa. <laughs> so, I mean, these silent movies, you look at these silent movie 
sort of, you know, people doing like priestesses and vampires and goddesses and those sort of things. The fucking eye makeup. If you saw someone wearing that, you'd think they were unwell. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just so big. Yeah. Everything's so big. Yeah. And I love it. And the Dietrich thing is that, you know, she, by the end of it, she had like a, a broom handle up her back to keep her upright. She was <laughs> maintaining that glamour. Because that was a big thing for those, uh, that era of uh, star as well. Maintaining the glamour or the doll was kind of all you did when you were in public. You were never to be seen dressed down or in sweatpants or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the thing. She, uh, she became a recluse and moved to Paris. And she was in her apartment. And the rumors suggest that she kept a gun next to her bedside table because paparazzi would climb the building to try and get to the apartment to snap a photo of her wow. when she wasn't, you know, the, the goddess. Yeah. Um, and she would fire at them. <laughs> this is this is the rumor. Yeah, I, and I, I'd like she to believe it's true as well. With her in this seclusion as well, I read the Grace Jones biography and apparently um, in her later years when she was, you know, a recluse, Dietrich used to just randomly phone people up She'd get their phone numbers. So Grace Jones one day picked up the phone and it was like, Hello, darling, this is Marlene Dietrich. It was like, just randomly phoned yeah. Grace Jones, who was just kind of br- just breaking into... Yeah. And she said, it's, it's so nice, darling, to hear a woman in music with a deep voice like mine. Oh, that's amazing. And then she would, you know, there was, there was no return number or... Sure. You wouldn't call her, she would call you. Right, uh, right. Just when she felt like it. Yeah, it was on her schedule. Uh-huh, absolutely. She just, just, just called these random celebrities. But she was Marlena. Of course she could do that. Of course she could do that. And of course she could get any number she wants. And the, and the, and the, the, the kind of, you know, they were always in the doll. You know, the Greta Garbo, I want to be left, you know, I wish to be alone. Thing. Oh, yeah. You know, she yeah. entirely disappeared from public life. I've, I've got this book called um, Crawford Swanson Dietrich Garbo. And it's um, this big, thick book with just the the histories and photographs throughout the years of uh, Joan Crawford and yeah. Doris Watson Dietrich and, and Greta Garbo. And the Greta Garbo, and there's a photo of it, of, of someone that thought they saw her in the street in New York years after no one had seen her. Yeah. And then they took the photo, and it's the moment that she realized someone's taking a picture, and she turns, and it's just like the side of a woman's face, and she ran, she just ran down the street away because wow. she, someone realized who it was. That's remarkable. It's madness. Yeah, it is madness. When did you start doing the makeup and everything? And uh, was that at the same time as you started to perform? Well, no, I I started out quite androgynous. It Uh was very kind of uh, Tim Burton-y in that, you know, I'd wear sort of Tim Burton does Tom Waits. I'd kind of wear like an ill-fitting suit and shirt and things with nice shoes. And I have big back-honed hair and scratchy black eyeliner and you know pale up my face a little bit and add some blush okay sure you know sort of edward scissorhands kind of uh jazz singer sure vibe yeah. i don't know um that, that was sort of how it started and then the costumes started getting more big or, or they would get big and then go smaller and i'd just wear like a shirt and braces with high-waisted like vintage trousers but with a full face of makeup with like finger waves you know it was, sure. it was still treading the androgynous and then I just suddenly was like, huh, well, I like all of these sort of these women from these films and these cartoon characters. I was like, I'll just try that. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, 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 and it was, it was, it was all like a happy coincidence. Cause I, so I thought I was going bold. Right. Um, and it was cause I was bleaching my hair. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, right. So either I'm going bold or it's bleach damage. And either way I want to own this. So I shaved my head uh, to figure out 
whether it was bleach damage or I was going bold. And yeah. then, I was, then I've made that choice. And then I realized it was bleach damage. So I shaved my head and then I was like, oh shit. Now I don't have like funny colored hair that I can style and things. So I started wearing turbans with robes. Oh, okay. And doing yeah. the very kind of Norma, Norma Desmondy thing. Yeah. Because I would cover my hair because I, having a shaved head wasn't conducive to. Uh... Yeah. It didn't have any impact for me. Sure. Yeah. Because it wasn't like a skinhead. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't like to the skin. It was just short blonde hair. And then I was like, oh, I'll give wigs a go. And then I was like, well, with the wigs, I, do you know what? Do you know what? This hair looks like this. I could, oh, I'll have a dress like that. Like it was, I was very androgynous, so it didn't matter. There'd right. be so, you know, there was a while when I, I was still wearing, like I'd put on a sequin three, you know, tuxedo for one half of a show and then a giant fishtail gown the next for the, you know, the second half of the show or whatever. So I was doing that. And then I just, I realized the fantasy of wearing kind of more, um, cost, like, I don't want to say female because I don't think I give a female illusion. I want it. To, I want it to look like a cartoon. Sure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the the gender is irrelevant to it. Right. It's not specific um, to one side of the fence. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't wear breasts. Um. You know that sort of thing. You know, I I'll wear a corset, but that's because I like the shape. Right. It's not. You know, I'm not trying to trick anyone and go look at this delicate female figure. <laughs> um. That's that's not what I'm doing. Right. Uh. But. Uh, and then suddenly this whole world opened up to me and I was like, wow, I can wear all of these things. Yeah. And that's what, you know, and then the makeup got bigger and everything. And now I feel like I'm at a place where I'm, my makeup's gotten as big as I want, but I've softened it in recent weeks. Yeah. Uh, months maybe to, to, I think I found that balance between the hardness I like, but also feeling quite gorgeous. And also, it sounds like I it's something know. that's... Did I answer the question? No, you did. Really uh, beautifully oh. and uh, substantially as well. So thank you. Very thoroughly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. What were you going to say then? Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, not at all. Uh, I appreciate the concern, by the way. Uh, I, it sounds also that you're continually tweaking things, that even mm -hmm. as recently as a month or two ago, you were adjusting and refining. So that's nice to hear too, because uh, some people like lock into a look and then that's it. But you're always looking for things that can maybe enhance. Oh, absolutely. I think if you if you stop growing and learning, you 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 stop growing. Right. Like, why why would you know? Why why would you stop trying to learn new things? I agree with you completely. Why would you stop trying to improve? Like, no one's ever perfect, but also your tastes change, and that's okay. Yeah, and I think sometimes people get locked into a thing where they think that they have to continue being this or that, whatever they happen to be identifying as, and that could be as a performer or in life. I'm very. I don't want to say stubborn, but I like. I know what i like so it's like you know things will evolve and change but i've got like my interests yeah and i've kind of i've not you know i've released i mean I, they're, they're not available anymore because there, it's a very long boring story we love those on the show you've again you're familiar with it okay right so uh basically i had some music out on the internet but because of the way it was uploaded, I didn't have in control of, say, my Spotify artist profile, oh, okay. which meant that my name had combined with somebody else's. Oh. And that person happened to be a very homophobic and transphobic rapper. Not great. So I removed all my music from all streaming platforms. Yeah. And at some point, I'm going to do it again when, I, when I'm in control of my own. I've got to figure it out, my own Spotify profile so that I can change the picture and all of that i mean I, I sort of figured out how to do it but i'm just bringing myself up to but with like music and things you know not that i'm i'm um oh i'm trying to think of a way to say this that won't anger anybody 
I won't put commercial success in front of what I actually want to do. Yeah. So no matter if people expect a certain kind of product, because that's what's expected, you know, if you're going to be successful, you release this kind of product. And so I purely, I think, out of spite, will <laughs> will just get weirder. Like like I've said recently that out of spite, I've chosen that I'm just not going to die. Listen, spite can be a wonderful thing. You just have to harness it and use it in the right way. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's got to the point now that I'm like, do you know, just do, do, do people want do people want club music? Do they want dance music? I'm going to give them well, it's her organs. That's <laughs> yeah, because that's what I like. I don't like dance music. I want to play an accordion and sing in German. And now instrumentals. Yeah, it's it's I'm 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 so I like I like what I like, and I'm just I think that's actually also been part of the you know the growth and and why I've managed to you know I've been doing this for. 13 years yeah is that i i i'm i'm never gonna have the biggest boost because i'm never gonna suddenly release a number one hit and i'm totally at peace with that right but as long as i stay authentic to myself the people that are interested are interested because what i've been doing is what i do yeah and as long as i am i'm true to that then they you know that gives them more to to stay invested with you know that reminds me very much of Tom White's and his trajectory. Well, he got weirder. <laughs> yeah, substantially. He married Kathleen Brennan. Yeah. And then it was it was like he was kind of bluesy and loungy. Right. And then suddenly he, you know, he met her and they married and then Rain Dogs came out. But then his commercial success got better. True to the thing. There's this video of him doing Cemetery Polka and it's not Top of the Pops. Because that's a very British thing, but it's like a very eighties like music TV show that the kids watch, and there's like you know generally a band we're playing. There's an audience of people all dancing to the song as the band perform their hit track. Yeah, and it's Tom Waits on like a harmonium, and then like three drummers just with like cans and <laughs> just giant, just giant these giant drums with just going boom, 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 and him going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just these confused sort of slightly gothy teenagers in the audience going just like nodding along <laughs> nodding along and right. he's going Uncle Vernon Uncle Vernon independent as a hog or nice Uncle And it's on this TV program that is ostensibly for like you know uh, Rick Astley or whatever at the time. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. It's on YouTube. You search for like Tom Waits Cemetery Polka Live. I will. It, it comes up. It's just so bizarre. But his live shows generally, I love. I like watching chat shows. We've come back to Tom Waits. Um, I love watching chat show things with him because no one can ever get a sensible answer out of him. He's there to promote an album. There's a great collection on YouTube now of all of his appearances on Letterman. One of my favorites, too, is Tom Waits on Fernwood tonight. I'll put a clip in. It's kind of strange to have a guy sitting here with a bottle in front of him. <laughs> well, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just loved that as a kid. <laughs> that's, one of the, that's one of the old interviews, right? Yeah, it's really, really old, like 76, 77. Yeah, because he, I mean, he's sober now. He doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink. No, because he was very not sober for a very long time. Oh, yes, he was. The backstory is hard to piece together, sort of, because, you know, he was very elliptical in interviews, as we discussed. And also, he really liked to put forth this image of a kind of mythical 
beat poet inspired figure, like a kind of hobo archetype. The Swordfish Trombone song, that whole album is very that actually, but the the actual song Swordfish Trombone, whenever I like, whenever I've played it just for myself, you know, because I love, I love just love playing music yeah. on the piano. It's, it's the lyrics is just all about, you know, living in the back of a car and, you know, it's, it's, it's just something about because I, you know, I, I'm not American. This American archetype for me is these stories I've heard. The living in a car stuff is a bit more extreme, but he did live at the Tropicana Motel in L.A. Did he? Yeah, he didn't have an apartment. Him and Ricky Lee Jones lived in complete uh, degenerate squalor over there. He had a piano in the room and everything, but the cigarette was going twenty four seven. They were quite a couple, uh, Tom and Ricky Lee Jones. That, that's I see. See, this is why this is all where all this wonderful music came from, though. It's authentic. Well, that's true. That's true. And also, uh, you know, in terms of his uh, substance intake, I think by the time of the late 80s, early 90s, I think that's when he quit drinking. He doesn't even smoke anymore, which is great. No, and he's, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's getting on a bit now. He's 70 now? Something like that. I hope he tours again. I've never seen him live. Oh, I, I got to see him <clears throat> twice, and it was, it was really amazing. It was on the Mule Variations, maybe? Uh, so anyway, welcome to Tom Waits Talk, everybody. Uh, but but, uh, check out Tom Waits listeners. If you haven't checked them out, check out Rain Dogs and Swordfish Trombones, because I think weirdly, those are really accessible entry points, particularly for modern audiences. Because if you think about the production of modern pop music, a lot of it, it plays with textures that really weren't that common back then, but now are. That's a a very good point, because I love the Blood Money album, but then the Blood Money album is very, very strange. Very strange, yeah. And I love the Black Rider, and that thing is not something you could put on at a party. Nonsensical. Yeah. The, 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 it's, it's, like every, it's all very, very different. Imagine music by Tom Waits, text by William Burroughs. <laughs> and then if you want to get even weirder, yeah, there's the Orphans, Brawlers, and Ballers album. Oh, that's right, because that's unreleased stuff. Uh-huh, but then there's, they're split into three sections, so you've got like your, you know, your, your, your nice little ballads, and one, you've got... You know, sort of harder songs on the other, and then that third disc is just there's a there's a track called Army Ants about the life cycle of ants, and it's just him explaining it. There's a cover <laughs> of Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Vile's "What Keeps Mankind Alive" from the Three Penny Opera. Okay, sure. It's, a lot of it is just noise and talking. Yeah, like banging on steel drum, uh, not steel drum, oil drums. Yeah, <laughs> we've just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah god we've gone on about tom this time haven't we we, ha- we have so i hope everyone enjoys the tom Waits stuff uh <laughs> and what that reminds me also of bertolt brecht you mentioned bertolt brecht you are a fan of all that stuff right the older yeah the, la- the late 20s cabaret stuff because it was you know it was a horrible time for people you know no yeah. one had money everyone was miserable yeah. and it was just all of this art was being made out of misery and misfortune and poverty and and they did the three penny opera which the idea is that it was a it was an opera operetta that could be performed <clears throat> with no money uh, as long as you had the act you know there were, didn't you didn't need to have a set you didn't there wasn't that much you know you just told the story and it was all about misfortune and horrible people and murderers and robbery and crime and yeah. just these degenerates right. and it's got one of my favorite songs in it which has been covered so many times which is pirate jenny or pirate and jenny oh, okay. you heard the nina simone version of it no and i'd love to because she's fantastic it's a beautiful, I think it's, it's actually quite a horrible song, but I think it's a really beautiful song. That's kind of the hook with that stuff, though. Oh, yeah. Horrible stories in it, but there's some kind of, um, not glee that you get out of it, but there's something positive that comes out of 
relaying these tales. Mm-hmm. They're like murder ballads. Nick Cave. Uh, yeah. You know, that sums it up for me, my, my interest in all of the people like Tom and, and Nick and you know, Kurt, Kurt Vile and Bertolt Brecht. It, it's, it's horrible stories and horrible words and misfortune and misery. Sometimes it even sounds happy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but it's, it's, it's kind of bitter and sad and angry, but it's disguised as this opulent, sleazy sleek piano and accordions and it, it, it's i find it so transportative and magic and uh, pirate jenny it's it's um this woman she works in a a hotel and um all of these men are always disgusting to her and there's a scene when she uh she imagines she transports her mind and she imagines what she'd do to every man that has ever crossed her and she imagines herself as this pirate queen calling her you know her her pirate army to land to lay waste to everything and bring out the men to the the streets and she says you know kill it's it's <laughs> it's amazing nina simone's version of it is stunning and marianne faithful has one. Oh, that's right yeah of it as well um because she did a cut vial on sort of german weimar right uh, show right 20th century blues so that's a good hook in for anyone who's not totally familiar with this stuff so basically the uh milieu of cabaret People say, especially in the UK, you say cabaret and people have an idea of someone in a, you know, a, a gay bar with someone singing I am what I am. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what some people think is cabaret. And when I say cabaret, I, you know, I'm imagining a, someone with, you know, faded blue eyeshadow and, you know, eyebrows that are wonky and drawn halfway up their forehead and smudged lipstick in a dress with a, some feathers draped over them with a cigarette kind of not really singing particularly well <laughs> you know everyone's too drunk but everyone's having a good time sure sure that's how the sally bowles character is written in the in the for cabaret the i mean the film and the musical yeah in you know she's not supposed to be a very good singer right you know in goodbye to berlin she's she's described as being bad mm-hmm but obviously, in the in the musical, it's Liza Minnelli, and she's all wonderful and amazing. Yeah, <clears throat> they did this. I think it was BBC made. Um, it was like BBC or ITV made a film of uh, Goodbye to Berlin, of the Christopher Isherwood um, story. Uh-huh. Who wrote wrote Cabaret. Yeah. Um, uh, where the, there's the Sally Bowles character, and you, she's performing, and she's just she's terrible, and it's but it makes it better. She's right. just there. And there's no one in the audience, only a couple of people. She's leaning on the piano going, I don't know for who I belong. I only belong to myself. Everyone clap, 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 clap. Yeah. And it's, it's, I just, I love, there's, someone was trying to explain to me, there's this theory about how imperfections are more perfect, how something becomes a more interesting product from being wrong or conceivably wrong. But it's like the imperfections in the beauty that make the beauty total of something that was a terribly ineloquent way of saying it but basically yeah yeah well that's why i like marianne faithful because she you know she was sort of an ingenue type wasn't she and then she yes you know with the roll with the rolling stones angelic even yeah she was angelic yeah and now she and she does these albums i love particularly live ones and she's not she's not doing a very good job of singing sure but i find her more more beautiful than ever to listen to. Right. You know, she's the, the passion's still there. She's not hitting the notes yeah. because she smoked 5,000 cigarettes a day. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, this woman hasn't slept for 20 years. Her and Joni Mitchell should have a cigarette smoking <clears throat> contest. It'd be interesting to see who yeah. would win at the end of the day. But it's it just, for me, it just makes it more 
I'm I'm more moved because you can still see the passion in it. Right. She clearly loves it. Yeah. And she is putting across a very specific emotion. Yeah, I, I adore it. And then, but then you get people like Bonnie Tyler, who's just, their voices are just fucked. Um, but it still makes it really, really interesting. Have you seen the interview I did with Katya? No, I haven't, actually. It was just laying on the floor. It was for a magazine, and we were just chatting. And then we brought this up in it, and I said, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler, chainsaw voice woman. Because she's obviously, <laughs> Bonnie Tyler was, you know, did Total Eclipse of the Heart and holding out for a hero. Yeah. But then, I don't know when the shift happened, but she suddenly became a heavy metal singer. Oh, wow. So there's later videos, if you find her doing particularly, like, holding out for a hero, she's like, Summer after midnight <laughs> in my wildest fantasies! Um, it, she, she sounds like she's fronting a metal band and the music's gotten really heavy. But the Brian from the Dresden Dolls told me that he heard that, uh, well, formerly of the Dresden Dolls, because they don't really exist anymore. Oh, right. Um... Uh, that she had like um, what's it called when you have the nodules removed, and then that apparently she screamed and asked for strawberries or something. Uh, I think that was her. You're supposed to be on vocal rest for a certain amount of time after the surgery, and she yeah yeah she, you're not allowed to talk yeah, and she jumped the gun screaming for strawberries. Yeah, she demanded strawberries. I'm sure that was about Bonnie Tyler. There's a great story about Bonnie Tyler on the set of the video for Total Eclipse of the Heart, which was made by well, probably one of the most influential video directors of all time, Russell Mulcahy, an Australian guy, who later is behind the revival of Teen Wolf, that series on MTV, and also Queer as Folk. He was the executive producer of that. He made the Duran Duran videos, Hungry Like the Wolf and Rio, mm -hmm. loads of Elton John stuff. I'm still standing. He made that. When they were filming the Total Eclipse of the Heart, Bonnie Tyler was in her trailer, and there's a scenes where there's like uh, naked guys, basically, and they're getting water thrown on them. She comes wandering down on the set, and she goes, what the bloody hell are you doing? What are you, a prevert? <laughs> and then he, he had a word with her. She left. Then the video was like the biggest video of all time, and he call, she called him to be the director of the next video, and he called her, he's like, no, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so... She 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 was disgusted, and then she saw what a success. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, and then well, she's Welsh, so she would that would have sound um um and um, wheels. What are you, some kind of pervert? Yeah, but I remember in, in the interview, Mackay said prevert, and I was like, I love that if she did say that prevert, so that's prevert. not even right. Maybe she was just shocked. I mean, let's not. I mean, lest it seem like uh, I'm saying that she's homophobic, but uh, maybe she was just a little very provincial and well, unaware. She's fairly camp. Yeah, so maybe She's she was just shocked. Camp. So it was maybe a bad day for her. I don't know. <laughs> well, she wasn't. Maybe, maybe I, don't, I don't. You know, I can't speak on behalf of Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler. Exactly. You're not the ambassador for Bonnie Tyler, nor should you be expected to be. There used to be this this show called Nevermind the Buzzcocks in the UK, which was like a music chat show, and they had her on it. And I'm absolutely, if I remember correctly, I'm absolutely certain she was absolutely paralytic drunk I'm, I'm certain that's how i because they've had a few guests that have just been a bit too drunk yeah i love that by the way sometimes hilarious sometimes not yeah right um, right and i'm sure bonnie tyler was one of the drunk ones and she was having a good time well i'm gonna have to look that up afterwards i also it reminds <laughs> me of we were talking about uh actress like klaus kinski i love oliver reed's drunk tv show appearances those are always good but then every once in a while they're a little uncomfortable they're the what was the, the 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 famous drunk wine advert that they parodied in Shit's Creek? Orson Welles. One oh two, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired 
by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So, Paul Masson. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. Inspired by that same French excellence, it's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne, it's vintage, dated. So Paul Masson, super. Yeah. And then here's the great secret about that. Uh, they show at the end of that thing on YouTube the final version where he's like overdubbed mm-hmm. it and it's all fine. He didn't actually do the voice. He was notoriously difficult on all ads. You want to hear one, actually? Yes. Nothing is more important than the simple act of people getting together. Could I have one more go? Also, please, sorry. What? Could I have just one more take of that? Sir? Why? I just did it right. Yeah. Right, look, I, I'm not used to having more than one person in there. One more word out of you and you go. Is that clear? Yes, sir. I take well, I take directions from one person under protest. But from two, I don't sit still. But who the hell are you, anyway? Well, why the hell are you asking me for another one? Well, I thought there was a slight bump, and I would like, just like to be safe. Jesus. What is a gonk? Do you mind telling me what that is? A bang from outside. A bang from outside. Could I see Mrs. Rogers for a minute, please? Yes, certainly. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July... Peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Uh, yeah, so in other words, I'd, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it if you can make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see a snow-covered field and say every July peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. We're talking about them growing, and she's picked them. Yeah. On <clears throat> what? In July. I don't understand you, then. When must, what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. Well, I was out. We were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas, when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. You are? Yes. Well, that's about where I say in July. You emphasize a bit in, in July. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Um, There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence within and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. (laughs) (laughs) Did he say, and I'll go down on you? And I'll go down on you. Yeah, you find me a jury that says that you can do emphasis on in July and I'll go down on you. There's difficult, and then there's absurd. Yes. And I think he's, he's absurd. Right. The things he's talking about don't even make sense. It's a commercial. It's, and he's getting a lot of money for it. Like, I wouldn't care if, you know, you put me up somewhere and say, say this. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, but it's about frozen peas. Yeah. It's, it, but there's that. There's a difference between that and, you know, um, 
an actor punching someone because they looked at them funny. That's that's right. like un, unpleasant. But you, you can take joy and solace in someone, you know, doing a pee commercial and offering to go down on someone <laughs> if they can explain that. Or the the, the Mo- Moira Rose Shit's Creek wine commercial. Have you seen that? I have got to catch up on Shit's Creek, and it doesn't make any sense that I haven't seen it. I love everyone from SCTV. I like the bits I've seen, and so I have to watch the rest. So that's my journey for the well, year. There's there's a scene where they parody his wine commercial. And she's, like, absolutely gone. In the lee of a picturesque ridge lies a small, unpretentious winery, one that pampers its fruit like its own babies. Hi, I'm Moira Rose, and if you love fruit wine as much as I do, then you'll appreciate the craftsmanship and quality of a local vintner who brings the muskmelon goodness to his oak chardonnay and the dazzling peach crab apple to his Riesling Rioja. Come taste the difference good fruit can make in your wine. You'll remember the experience, and you'll remember the name, Herb Erflinger, Bert Herngeif, Irv Herblinger, Bing Livehanger. When did you start performing? 2007. So I was underage. I know. Scandalous. So I hosted my first Bolesh show when I was 17. And how did that come about? Well, I was doing um, some people that had like knew the person putting on the Bolesh show would come to see me. So I had a fake ID and I was 19 as far as anyone else was concerned. <laughs> right, exactly. And, um, and I was doing this bizarre cabaret music and they were like, oh, can you come do this Bolesh show? You know, in like the interval. So I did it and then I was booked for the next one. And then the host didn't turn up. So I hosted a Bolesh show having never... <laughs> hosted anything uh, in my, and then that's that's pretty much mostly what i you know that's one of my main income sources now is hosting burlesque and cabaret shows because it's there's not that many people that there's people who can like do a mic and introduce a couple of people but i uh, you know it's that's where i've learned everything so that's where i make a whole show is is in that format it's not really true that anyone can do that because it's like i remember katya vamping one time when one of the queens at katya's show in boston had some kind of outfit disaster and had to just on the spot sort of like do almost stand up. Some people can do it. Some people can't. Some people are like visibly wilting under the pressure. But clearly you just uh, took to it like a duck to water. And uh, yeah, when I, it's, I, I, I enjoy it as well. But also I, I kind of revel in um, uncomfortableness <laughs> as well. Sure. So there'll be like if something like that happens, like there's a disaster. I'm not the type that will be like, oh, teeth, teeth, smile at the people, smile at the people, and try and cover it, I'll go, well, I've run out of things to say. And, you know, yeah. and I'll, I'll just say that, and then I'll get a good laugh of just literally standing there in silence and occasionally going, <sighs> you know, just like looking at, you know, non-existent nail wearing or a watch, yeah. and just smiling at the audience. And I can make that go on for minutes. It's a good clown. Well, it's also the key of uh, also being sort of tuned into what is happening in the moment. It's like if you're screwing up on something, uh, talking to a guest, you know, you make a, a joke out of it or you point the light on it instead of trying to hide it. And mm-hmm. it's relatable. It's a way of taking whatever materials in front of you and being fluid with it. And it's kind of Dada, right? Which is like anything is art. So you take that and you just make it like this is what I'm presenting to you. Yeah. And also it's a, it's a trust thing. Sure. With an audience, because you're not, they, they, they're not seeing me grinning maniacally, trying to like 
keep this going. Let's keep up the energy, everybody. Right. Because I'm not. I'm not lying to them. I'm going, cool, well, I've run out of things to say. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm, I'm being honest with them. And then as a host, the thing that you need to do, especially in these kind of shows, people need to trust you because you are guiding them through. That's right. You are the facilitator to their good times. Yes. You are their point. You are their contact point to the whole show. So they need to like and trust you because then they'll have a better time. Because if they like you, when you say someone's name and tell them to cheer, they're going to believe you. It's just like a date, really. You know, you can't walk into a date and sort of be like (laughs) melting down. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's such a strain. Like I I said, anyone can do, I mean, what I mean is like most people can like talk on a mic, yes, but not necessarily the art of hosting because it's so specific. And it changes from gig to gig, right? Because the temperature of the oh, room yeah. is always different, and there's always a different texture in the air. Ooh, there's nothing quite like it. Happen- it's happened to everyone going out there, and then that moment you realize that every single one of the audience hate you. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened before when you just get a bad night. Maybe you start off on the wrong foot. You say something, or they don't like the song, or... Uh, you know, there, there'll be something that gets it off to a bad energy. And then you've got to host a whole show while knowing that everyone doesn't like you. Sure. And it's it happens. Yeah. You know, or like corporate events, particularly, or Christmas ones. It does like big office parties. Yeah. Uh, that's the worst one. If, if like a whole company is booked a venue for a show and you, you happen to be the host of that. <laughs> right. You know, that's 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 a that's the worst one is is office parties because everyone's showing off because they don't get to party with these people all the time oh that's right yeah so they're they're being a very specific version of themselves and then the group energy from all of these bizarre versions of each person now creates this other monster that then you have to contend with somehow Mm -hmm. and as the host you are the one that has to contend with them it's like sometimes djing uh, it doesn't matter what or comedians or whatever there's going to be bad nights there's just mm-hmm. something sometimes the the fucking variables do not add up to a hospitable or atmosphere misjudgments or misjudgments of specific moments yeah so years ago i used to dj occasionally but only for torture garden which is oh, okay um, the big fetish night right just, yeah the buffet the fetish night and they had like um their alternative room where they played like swing music earlier on the day like swing and cabaret music and then by the evening it got to like 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 evening it's always at night um <laughs> it's, it's not like the it's not the 10 a.m to 2 p.m uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. it, it would get to like electro music by the time it was like two three o'clock in the morning at this fetish lunch the fetish luncheon yeah the fetish bunch um <laughs> but i I've, I've done it before so i do that and i'd occasionally get gigs off of that so sometimes i did like goth events yeah sure as well so but i was always playing this swing music or it would be like weird german orchestra versions of pop songs but everything it was all quite whimsical you know disney songs as done by like a you know a a swing band doing it but it's a bit growly you know what i mean and then i'd occasionally be able to drop stuff in that if it hit it would be amazing and everything it would set the 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 dance floor on fire there's i used to occasionally end sets with um there's a Eurovision song called um, Dancing Lusha Tombai by Vaka Sadushka. Do you know it? No, I don't. It was the Ukrainian Eurovision entry. Okay. Um, it's, it's a drag act. And um, Vaka Sadushka, Dancing... Uh, no, is it da- Dancing Lusha Tombai? But it's this this ridiculous, like, accordion, polka, beer hall, disco song. It's 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 very, very silly. Yeah. 
But I'd occasionally drop that at the end, and if it was the right mood, everyone's like, "Ray!" Yeah, sure. But there was one, one, one particular track that, when it went well, it went very well, and there was you had maybe the first ten seconds to realize which audience you've fallen into because it didn't just not go well; it cleared floors, and it was the can can. Because <laughs> if you get people in the right mood, that's right, and it's all like ridiculous, you know, orchestra covers of Tainted Love or whatever, and people are like, "Yeah, I'm enjoying this," and then suddenly, like, the beat stops, and there's the dun 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 dun, dun. and there's the moment when you see people switch on and go, <gasps> and if they're in the mood, you watch a whole pe- groom of people at a fetish club doing the can-can together. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then people cheer at the end and it's just, and then you can put on something more like, you know, agreeable. Sure. But if it goes well, the atmosphere and love in that room is incredible. But if it doesn't go well, Oof. just imagine like 200 people just looking at you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> What, what the you, fuck? Like, what are, are you what doing? What is wrong with you? Do you need help? Are you <laughs> unwell? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it could be worse. My old housemate once played, um, she took too much MDMA um, <laughs> at a New Year's Eve party when she was DJing and she dropped old Lang Zion at quarter past 11. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great move, actually. That's kind of a fun fake amount. <laughs> she right? panicked and she was like, oh, we better get it out now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my God, I'm running behind. Yeah. Um, but that was, I, I do like that story. I've, I've never done that. Right. Um, right. Uh, dropped old Lang Syne. I mean, MDMA, of course I have. Yeah, uh, sure, but, sure. Uh, look, you know, I live in Brighton. What else am I expected to do? 12 inch mixes or old disco songs are great because I remember DJing at my friend's house for like hours and hours and hours. Whatever I'd taken, there was a sort of crossover moment where the eyes just went a little funny and I just went, I'll, I'll be back in a minute. I just put a 12 inch on, went and found his dog hung out with the dog. And then I was like, okay, I'm good. And I knew that I had enough time. You know what I mean? I had enough time to come back because it was like a 10 minute track and then no one was any the wiser. Actually, that's one of the strange, strange ones actually with DJing is that, so Torch Garden used to be at this club called SE1, which was giant. It was underneath London Bridge and the toilets were really far away from the cabaret room. So I was like, right, I really need to pee. I'm going to put on a really long song. So I put on Sing, Sing, Sing. Nine minutes of just pure fucking swing beats yeah i'm fine and i said to the stage manager i've queued this up press this and slide this if this ends and it was you know another similar kind of swing thing and i left and i came back and the overture from oliver was playing (laughs) and he there was a stop in sing 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 before the beat came in and he panicked grabbed the first cd it was with cds oh yeah grabbed the first cd he could and just put on the <laughs> overture from Oliver. Uh, Why? Yeah. Why? Uh, and Sing 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 still had so much more time left in it. Yeah. It did. It probably had about seven minutes left. Yeah. But it was it had just faded out and he panicked. And that was, of course, because I still had the Oliver soundtrack in my DJ bag. Of course. Well, I of did. course you did. Because Umpapa is, a, <laughs> again, Umpapa uh, uh, playing that in a club when people have had a few drinks. So do you still DJ anymore? Well, no, no, I'm just explaining to you that, you know, all the yeah. terrible choices I've made. Of course, I don't DJ anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Haven't you been listening to me? I'm not. This is why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not fit for this job. <laughs> um, but no, I, I just, yeah, it was just, it got to the point where it's not enough money was the, was the problem more than anything. You know, performing was, it was a nice subsidized thing to do on the side. It can be very stressful, though. 
It was lovely to do if I could do it with performing, like I could finish performing and then go and DJ afterwards. Yeah, sure. But if it took a day, you know, being paid way less to DJ than I would be to do a show, that I just, I couldn't then start booking them in because it just took too much of my time. Yeah, like I used to write training videos, scripts, and then uh, mm-hmm. then, I, then I realized like at the same company I could get on-camera work you know, in sexual harassment videos being like, John, I really don't think that's appropriate what you did to Janine today in the office and, and <laughs> reading off a teleprompter. And I would make three times as much and only work for 90 minutes instead of like sitting there actually writing the script for that garbage. So yeah, sometimes it's like, wait, I think I'll do this. And also I like this better, you know, like with your performing, I'm did, sure. Did you genuinely do that? I did. I did. I wish I had copies of it, but the companies that would hire this company to do it were a little too proprietary so you wouldn't get copies of it but i did i wrote uh the training videos for the stored value card for dunkin donuts lots of uh, exciting materials <laughs> that's i'm just imagining you going well that's no way to talk to somebody oh absolutely i did yeah yeah delhi safety yeah i did a bunch of stuff like that uh loss prevention stuff uh which was good because i would use my knowledge of uh stealing from shops when i was really really broke years ago <sighs> into like these new techniques that you wouldn't you know watch out for people sliding money up your sleeve and all that all, their sleeves and all that stuff I wish I had copies of that stuff. I do have the scripts and stuff and some voiceover I did for that, but maybe a new special for you Hot Dog Club. remake them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the new modern versions. And I'll just change the name of the company so no one knows. No, yeah, no one, no one will have any idea. Droopin' Donuts. Yeah, <laughs> right. Droopin' Donuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How to make the, uh, the accrued value card. <laughs> You say you are going into voiceover work. Yeah, well, I'm going to be looking into doing some auditions and stuff because I've been told I should, and I think they're right because it's also very I, easy. I, I think you should. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You're one I think for you very an... much got the voice for it. Thank you, and I appreciate that you have the ear, and so I, I appreciate that. You could as well, oh, thank especially because you. you do a range of voices. Well, yeah, I'd love to do that. Even uh, the night when I saw you. I mean, I'd, I'd had a few drinks then. I don't really remember what I did. I know I did Poor Unfortunate Souls, and I did When I'm Cleaning Windows. I was really taken with your uh, performance and delivery and everything. Thank you very much. Have you been to the States? Yeah, a few times. I did um, I did a tour, two tours with a band called This Way to the Egress, mm-hmm. who do kind of like old-timey style music, you know, kind of gypsy, ragtime, um, swing, that kind of stuff, but it's quite punky. And I, I toured with them twice. I went to Seattle a few December's ago and did a um like a big Christmas play show yeah. thing uh, called called Jingle All the Gay. <clears throat> um, Good name. Where I played an English butler. Yeah. Um, what else have I done? I've been to New York and did the Slipper Room in New York. That was really fun. That's like infamous burlesque club. I went to Pittsburgh last year as well, literally just for like one show, and then I ended up hosting a um, an otter pageant. In the bar that Alaska and Sharon was like, it was like their local bar, the Blue Moon. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and I hosted a yeah an otter pageant there, and I'd never, you know, I'm very unfamiliar with the American pageant system, but it turns out that people take it very seriously. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. Um, and even though this was just a, it was just a dive bar with some otters, they, you know, <laughs> the I the, I was getting notes on the pace oh. <laughs> of of which I was. So, you know, oh, uh, contestant number two, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, I didn't know they had to pose a certain way. These people were marking them on their presentation. And and I was like, it's it's sort of skinny, hairy guys not wearing many clothes and smiling at you. Like, how deep can this be? (laughs) 
We can learn something new every day. And I've learned a lot in our discussion today. Not that I'd want to cut it short, but we've been going almost two hours. And I've had a wonderful time with oh, you. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I've had an absolutely wonderful time. Thank you very much for having me. It was a delight to be asked. Oh, thank you very um, much. Long, long time listener, first time caller. Oh, that warms my heart so intensely. Thank you very much. And I'm quite a fan of yours. And we'll do another one sometime. For sure. Yes, I would love that. And uh, I'll see you when uh, I can go over to the UK or when you come over here. Oh, fantastic. Till next time. Goodbye.